As many of you come on Tuesday morning, if you had not already been coming before we were serving you hot donuts, my, uh, I might be concerned why you show up at uh, Grace and Granite at 6 in the morning. Where else can you come and get fellowship from brothers and good coffee and hot homemade donuts? Um, that is amazing. So thank you, whoever uh, made that possible. Um, today we are... Uh, finishing up, uh, at least for the most part, the church membership uh, portion. So if you don't have a Grace and Granite book, uh, you can uh, uh, get one. If, does anybody need one? All right, Mike is right there. If uh, Just let him know. And um, we're going to be talking through some practical aspects of, of church membership, particularly church discipline uh, this morning. We've kind of been grinding through that because it's something that's that's not practiced, or if it is practiced, it's practiced poorly. Um, you said what you normally think of, of church discipline, um, gives you an idea of how poorly it's been practiced and taught, because what usually comes to your mind is somebody drug up before the congregation and, and exposed and treated uh, poorly. But the majority of church discipline uh, is positive, it's all positive, but the majority of it uh, happens where someone's recovered. It's one-on-one or it's a few-on-one, and you never even know that it, that it goes on. Church discipline goes on all the time here at, uh, at Timberlake, and um, both in, uh, in, the, in the one-on-ones, the, the, the group setting, and then um, also the, the end that we'll see today. So we'll talk about the last stage, last two stages really. What happens when it does get to the final end and the congregation is brought in or brought to bear on somebody's, somebody's life? And then what, what, what if they don't repent then? The disfellowship aspect, what does that look like? And then why we do it and then some practical questions. Um, and uh, uh, you do it to teenagers that are, that are uh, children of parents in the church? When do they become members? Uh, what if it's your own family member? I mean, all kinds of things. And then, obviously, we can ask whatever questions uh, we want, and we'll, we'll try to answer them uh, together. But before we get there, open to uh, Psalm 9 this morning. This is a psalm of thanksgiving for God's justice. At least that's what my study Bible says. We'll see if that's true. Um, it's a psalm of David. So this is a song that, that David wrote. Um, the Psalter, Psalms, 150 songs. The church used to sing exclusively, um, but now we've obviously added... Uh, other things that are not inspired, but help us uh, direct our praise and, and worship to the Lord. But these are special because they're under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look at what David says here. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of your wonders. That's how he's giving thanks with all his heart. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. You have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have, been, you have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins. You have uprooted the, the cities. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord abides forever. He has established His throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know Your name will put their trust in You. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples his deeds, for 
He who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of your praises, that in the gates of the daughters of of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in a pit which they have made. In the net which they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. In the work of his own hands, the wicked is snared. The wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forget God. For the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Let's pray. Father, that's one of the things we would ask for this morning. You would remind us that we are but mere men. David speaking this as a as an as a judgment and an awareness and lord you have awakened us to this truth that you are god you alone are seated in the heavens you are the judge of the living and the dead you're the one who declares what is right what is wrong you you never declare wrongly because you are righteous and Therefore, your throne and your judgment throne is is righteous. It always dispenses justice. It knows not only what we do, but the motives behind what we do. It it knows everything. You know everything. And we are thankful for that. There's security in the fact that there there is an eternal judge and a perfect judge. And because of that, those who are oppressed, those who are done wrong, even here on the earth, Lord, can cry out to you and and you hear them, and you give us many warnings in your word not to, not to abuse people, not to take advantage of others. You are their defender. When they cry out to you, you hear, and, and you take note. It's also a comfort to us, Lord, whenever we find ourselves in that situation. Many things in life, Lord, that are crooked. Many things in life where it's not fair, um, and yet you, you tell us you will... You will straighten all things out in the end. and um, So we praise you for that. We praise you for your throne, for who you are, for your, for your justice. We praise you that we can cry out to you. We praise you that you are, you are the Lord and we are but men, that we walk with you, that we live and can give praises to your name. So I pray, even this morning, Lord, we pray together that you would encourage us, you would teach us, I think every time I read the Word or every time I, I sit under a sermon or I think, what are you going to teach me now for, for this day? But Lord, you may be teaching us for something in the future, something that we don't even know about. So we, we would ask that you would do that today. Encourage our hearts, strengthen us, bless these brothers who have gotten up this morning to, to fellowship together, to give praise to you and and to walk in your ways, and help me to be faithful and a good servant to them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, turn to page 253 in your Grace and Granite books. We're talking about corporate church discipline, which is an extension of church membership. You need church membership because it identifies who you have responsibility for and who has responsibilities to you. The one another commands in the Bible are not given to some amorphous blob out there called the the universal church, that I am to love one another. Well, that's a command given specifically to a group of people. Of course you're supposed to love every Christian that you're involved with, But what God intends is you carry out those commands with individuals that you sit on a pew beside, that you you do life with, you you, you live with. And and you express your commitment to that group of people, and they express that commitment back to you in membership. 
you also place yourself under uh, the authority of Scripture that is mediated through elders in the church. God's designed the church to, to be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They're gone now. You can see how they, uh, the Lord used them, the Holy Spirit used them to lay that foundation in the book of Acts. And then who takes over after the apostles and prophets are, are the gifts that Jesus gives to his church in Ephesians 4. And that's the evangelists, missionary evangelists that go outside of the church, plant churches and root, uh, uh, preach the gospel and, and God uh, saves. And then they gather together in an assembly. They're, they, they're baptized. They testify. They're followers. And there's a group of them. And and now you have a group of, of, of new followers, wherever this might be. And, and, and then obviously when they're saved, the Lord has gifted them with, uh, with the Holy Spirit, specific gifts. And, and, and within that group, there's going to be elders, there's going to be deacons. And, and so that missionary evangelist is proclaiming the gospel and God's saving people. And then they're being brought together and they're being taught whatsoever things Jesus has commanded. And, and so that missionary is rooting them in basic doctrine and God's raising up, raising up elders and servants in the church. And when that takes place, and there's no magic numbers, that one year, five years, however long, whenever that takes place, then that missionary evangelist is going somewhere else and doing it again. And he's turning that, that work over, if you will, to the elders that, that are there, pastors and teachers, that they're equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And then that that little church is growing and maturing, and then they're sending out missionary evangelists, and, and that continues on and on. Well, within that church that's saved, the, that group of people are committing themselves to one another, and they're also placing themselves under the authority of Christ that is mediated through the, through the elders that, that are there and the model servants um, that are assisting in, uh, in that work. And so that's membership. It's necessary. The voice of God is the primary voice in the church. What type of church do you want to be part of? The voice of God is the primary voice in the church. Godly leadership that's there, men that, that are leading the church that meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and, and Titus, and then um, church membership is, is something that's, that, that's part of the, of the body. So we've talked about objections to this and responses to... Uh, to those objections and how we go about it, gentle, considering yourself, meekness, and commitment to one another. And then we've talked about going one-on-one -on -one, and then what happens if somebody refuses to hear and, and there's uh, witnesses that are brought to bear, a larger group, circle is widened. You don't take the circle of someone's sin or, or failures beyond uh, what, what's necessary. So if you can keep it one-on-one, -on -one, do that. If you can keep it in a small group, do that. But what happens if that's not possible? Someone refuses to hear. Um, you go to them, and uh, they refuse to hear. And then after you've worked with them for weeks or months or however long it is, then, then somebody else is brought to bear, brought into the picture, and they, they continue. They refuse to to, to hear them. They're unrepentant. Remember in Matthew 18, there's no list of sins. So it doesn't say, you know, go to your brother if you see him do X and Y. It says somebody out, out from under the authority of Christ. And the authority of Christ is what's in the text of Scripture. So we're not applying church discipline on whether you think that, that they, you know, should only go to, uh, you know, a PG movie rather than PG-13 or or they, they listen to music with drums, or they dance, or whatever. I mean, these are, these are matters that are clearly defined in Scripture. It's not that Susie didn't say hi to me in the church hall, and I'm offended by that, you know, and I need to call her out. Well, you've got to be able to have a text of Scripture, because you're, you're saying you're out from under the, the authority of Christ, and the authority of Christ is only what is in the text of Scripture. Um, so you, you, could, you could have concern, you could bring wisdom matters. I mean, this seems and this, this may, be, may be a problem, but if you're calling them that, that they're out of order at the Bible, you, you better not go beyond the text. So let's say you've done that. It's very clear, very clear this is defined sin, very clear that they're not doing what God would command them to do or they're failing to do something that God would command them to do 
and, and you've brought somebody else to, to confirm um, all of that, and now it, it's got to the point the elders have become involved and, and they've confirmed. Now what, what happens? Well, step three, according to Matthew 18, um, this is on the bottom of page 253, if they fail to repent, then tell it to the assembly. Um, the point of that is not telling it. The point of that is you're, you're widening the scope. You're making the larger group of brothers and sisters that are in commitment with one another and in commitment with this person that, that's a member of that church. You're, you're bringing them to bear on the situation now. It, 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 it's not exposure it's it's restorative. It, it it it's for the purpose of of um, of them now pursuing them in repentance. You've pursued them. Uh, you've brought other people into the picture to pursue them, and now the whole body is to pursue them. The whole body cares uh, enough to that point. So the leadership of the church at this point, because now the elders are already involved. The leadership of, informs the the corporate assembly. And the whole church is now involved in the confrontation efforts. This is a public call to repentance. This is obviously very serious. You don't do this unless it's very clear that the person is refusing to hear and they're endangering themselves and, and they, they're, uh, they've, they've blown through a number of barriers. Um, I always remember the story that MacArthur told uh, years ago about a, a guy who was on staff at the church and um, very key key role and he left his wife and um, uh, was in ministry ran off with another woman and uh, obviously that is a, a first Corinthians 5 so you don't need to go one-on-one -on -one there uh, you know I mean or, or I should say if you do this this the the speedometer is gonna is gonna peg pretty quickly you're not gonna like Oh well, let's wait two or three weeks to see. Well, you know, I mean, you know, this is an issue, you know. And the guy's saying, "Yeah, I have. I admit it. I don't want to be married any longer." And and so then it it ramps up. So he was pursued, pursued publicly. I mean, it got all the way to the very last stage, the you know the disfellowship, and then um, after three or four months, he left the woman and uh, set up an appointment with. With, with John and and uh, came in and said I I repented and just you know all happy and and um, you know John listened to to his story and um, and said well that, that's great we'll see and the guy was almost offended that you know John wasn't saying ah oh, this is great this is wonderful you repented praise the Lord you know let let's bring you back into ministry let's restore you into fellowship and. The guy was almost offended that that wasn't the reaction that, that he was receiving. And so he probed, you know, I mean, this is great, right? You know, and he said, well, we'll see. Um, he said, well, I mean, the Lord's forgiven me. Or, Have you not forgiven me? Or however the conversation went, but that, that's the, the idea. And, and John just said, look, look you've, you've, you, you've blown through every barrier possible. You know, you've blown through the barrier of your own conscience, um, you've blown through the barrier of of your wife and the covenant you've made your wife. Uh, you've blown through the you know the barrier of responsibility to your own children. Blown through the barrier of the testimony of the Lord. You've blown through the barrier of the commitment that you made to the other elders and the brothers here. You've blown through the barrier of public shame and everybody knows about this. You've blown through all of those barriers, and then you come to me and say because you've prayed and God's forgiven you. That, that, that you're all good. My answer to that is we'll see. I mean, I hope that's the case. But you've blown through all of these things, and now just by your words, I'm supposed to say, yeah. You know? Can God do a work in somebody like that? Can it be that simple? Sure, yeah. But time and truth walk together. You'll, we'll see whether, whether fruits are born you know, of repentance that, you know, that, that, are, that are there. So this is a public call to repentance, which is a significant thing. You don't do that lightly because now it is exposed and the whole body's brought to bear. 
Um, so if somebody's uh, gotten to this point, this is my point, if you get to this point, you have blown through many, many, many barriers that the Lord has placed there to, to protect you. Remember, the things that you might be kicking against in your sin are, are the very graces that God's brought in your life. Okay? You don't, and I don't want to be exposed publicly. Nobody wants to be. Well, that, that, that's a grace that God's given you. It, 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 it hems you in, you know. You, you have a conscience, and it might bother you. Oh, I feel guilty all the time. And, you know, that, that's a grace that God's given you. It's placed there in order to keep us from, from just running, letting our flesh run. You know? The grace of somebody else coming to you and bringing others to you is, is part of God's way of, of hedging you in. And if you've blown through all of those things and you've gotten to this point... Um, you're, you're pretty far down the line, and it's a very, very serious thing. And um, it's not something that, that the church or the elders would take lightly, but it is a grace to you. It is, it's an attempt to, to recover your, um, your, your soul. Look at B there. Um, if the unrepentant sinner refuses to repent, the person should be treated as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, what does that mean? This is a shunning or a disfellowship within the body so that they know that they are outside of the people of God. I mean, we live in a world that is kind of squishy and squirmy, you know. They, they, everybody has really strong opinions. It's my truth and your truth. but um, So they're, they're, they're very strongly opinionated about their truth. But but they want everything to be okay. They don't like hard, fast lines being, you know, being drawn, and yet the Bible does that. There is Israel, and then there's the nations. There's the church, there's outside of the church. There are believers, and then there are unbelievers. There are people going to heaven, there are people going to hell. I mean, it is a very dark, black line. <laughs> And um, whether you're in Christ or whether you're, you're not. And so this is why this is a very serious thing. There to be as a Gentile and a tax collector. Somebody who's known as outside of the, the, the people of God. And I think we mentioned last time, the church cannot make a final judgment about that. Meaning, are they really an unbeliever? It's not the point. The point is not, are they really an unbeliever? Or are, do they just fall into sin and they're a believer, but, but, but they're just really you know, trapped in sin? That's not the point of, of this passage. The point is they're not acting like a believer. So they're treated like an unbeliever. And they're known as somebody who's functioning like an unbeliever. Uh, what do we have to go on? We as other brothers, we don't, can't see the heart. We don't know anything. All we can see is how someone is behaving, the fruit that's coming from their life. And if you've blown through all of these barriers and you've rejected the Word and rejected the Word and rejected the Word and rejected other brothers and now you've rejected the whole body, it's pretty evident that you're acting like an unbeliever. That's not how a believer acts. A believer humbles himself. A believer repents. A believer turns. Even if, it's, even if it, you know, somebody else has to help you take the steering wheel and drive it back because... You're overtaken in a, you know, in, in a fault. So that's the what it means here to be a Gentile and a tax collector. Functionally, they're not acting like a believer, so they're not treated as somebody who is in fellowship with the body. They're treated as somebody who needs to be recovered. Um, and so the unrepentant individual cannot enjoy intimate fellowship with God's people while while living in in unrepentant sin. I mean, the key is. They know things are different. You don't have to give them a dirty look or shun them in the sense of not, not talking to them, but, but, but you don't act as if nothing's wrong. They don't just come and sit on the pew and, as if nothing is, is going on. Um, and uh, you know, the church cannot allow normal relations because there's, there's a threat. There's another principle that's, that's hard for... Uh, the, the modern church, I guess, uh, 
our culture to, you know, to, to, to handle or, or to think about it. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive is probably the best way to say. We have heard uh, so, so long and in, and in so many different ways that you prioritize unbelievers because they're going to hell. You, you hear, well, I mean, if there are two people drowning and one of them's a believer and one of them's an unbeliever, throw the life raft to the unbeliever because he's going to perish. You know? uh, do whatever you've got to do to win one soul for, for Christ. And I don't want to take away uh, any uh, pursuit of unbelievers or desire to see people come to Christ, but the New Testament says your priority as a, as a, a, a believer is another believer. And your priority in the church is to protect the church. So if you have somebody who is refusing to repent, and they've got to this stage, again, they're already part of the body when you're pursuing them one-on-one. They're part of the body and you're treating them as a, as a dear brother whenever you're taking others. They're part of the body when these months and months are going by. When you're, but if when they get to the point where they have refused the clarity of Scripture and, and the, the public call by the body, then, then you prioritize the body. The shepherds have to protect the sheep. And at that point in time, then, then that person is not welcome around the sheep. Don't come around the, 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 the saints of God here if, if, if you are going to refuse what the Lord says and, and devour them. And that's the idea. You can have the, the leaven within the lump. You, you can have the wolves among the sheep, and, and you have to, you know, to fence uh, um, the table, as, as Calvin called it. Church cannot allow normal relations because of the threat of satanic deception, broadening in the flock. Rebellious men and deceivers sent by Satan must be silenced because they can upset whole families. Reprove them severely, Titus 1. I mean, reproving somebody severely, saying you're not welcome in church. I mean, that doesn't that seem counterintuitive to to everything in in modern? I mean, these are it's churches where sinners need to come. That's true. Churches where sinners need to come. But this person is not coming to church in order to you know to deal with their sin because they've already been confronted in their sin and they're rejecting Christ. And so this person needs to be prote- uh, kept away. The sheep need to be protected from from this person until there's some evidence of, uh, of a willingness to, to hear um, because you're putting the rest of the sheep at risk at that point in time. That's obviously a very serious thing to say to somebody, a very serious thing to do. Um, sometimes we will we'll mediate that. So we're, we don't think that this person is a direct threat. I mean, they've blown through all these things and and they're at that point where they're, they're, they're still willing to hear, but, but it's not really clear whether this is just a game or it's not. Or, and sometimes they can't even tell themselves. I mean, you can live in sin and have such a duplicitous life where you can't even tell whether you're repentant or not. I don't know. I think I am, but, but I, I've lived for 10 years in, you know, in this way. And, and so how do I even, how do you know? You know? Well, time will tell whether... God's working repentance in your heart and fruit. So take somebody like that, and the elders may say, yes, you may come under these circumstances. You know, you need to come, and you'll sit with this person. Or you, you can come to this, but you can't come to that. You know? uh, because at that point, the elders are saying, we don't think that they're a danger, but, but, but there's still some question enough where you just don't let them have free reign. You know? That's very serious. Uh, and, and their sins brought... Brought to that, brought them to you know to that place. So let's say they go through all of that, and um, they just continue to walk away. Fine, I don't want to be there anyway. I reject it all. So there's power. Number four, there's public disfellowship. Uh, steps three and four are two steps of the same process. Um. But step four is the final stage given. There is power given to the church to make a public declaration in regards to unrepentant sin in the church. And Christian fellowship is lost totally until they repent. 
the church is informed this specific person has refused to repent of a destructive life. This is the passage in Matthew about whatever is bound in the church. Um, Catholic Church takes that and uh, just tramples on the, the original language there. It's um, whatever has already been bound in heaven is being declared on earth. So the Catholic Church takes that and says, well, church, Christ gave the keys to Peter, and the church has authority to bind and loose. So whatever the Pope says, whatever the church says, that binds the faithful. Uh, that's not what that passage says at all. In fact, it says the opposite. It says whatever heaven has bound and loosed, whatever has been bound in heaven, whatever heaven has declared as right, then the church just echoes that. But the church has the right to say, this is what heaven says. So this is, I'm just, I'm declaring what heaven has already declared. And that's what you're doing through, through the scriptures. And that's what you're doing in this situation. What is bound in church discipline is the earthly confirmation of what heaven is declaring. This does not allow the sinner to join, uh, to just join a neighboring church. Um, the person is not responding to the loving call of the church to repent, and a communion service can be a fitting environment to, to, to announce church discipline. So this is the person who has rejected everything. The whole body has now had an opportunity to recover them and to pursue them, and they're just continuing to, to walk in, into their, their sin, and the church is informed um, about that. And um, they're being turned over to Satan. So if you think being brought out publicly is a serious thing, it is, obviously. Who, who, who wants to have that happen? Um, one of the reasons that we'll see in a minute that God's done that is so others will fear. I, when that's happening, and, and even when I'm involved in the process of that happening, I am thinking, believe me, I don't want to be there. God protect me. I could be there because my heart is no better and just as wicked. I could be there. I don't want to be there. I have a fear. Lord, I mean, it, are, there, are, there, are there lug nuts in my life that are loose that I need to tighten up? Tighten them up. I, I don't want this to happen, and it's possible. Um, and other people are thinking that. You're also, your heart's going out, crying out to the Lord for them to, uh, you know, to repent. But if you think that's serious, the passage where the person is turned over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh so that their soul might be saved, that is very serious. And you can't see him, but you can see him working and active, can't you? Just <laughs> look at the world around you. Being turned over to the wicked one is, uh, is something that you do not want to have happen in your life. Um, so why do we do that at a communion service? Wow, that seems like a downer for a communion service. I mean, we're celebrating the death of Jesus. Well, think of what God has, how God has structured the life of the church. So we have a baptistry behind us, and that's a joyous time. That's like the... You know, the only place that people like to go in the hospital is the, the maternity ward, unless you're the woman coming in. Now, you, you, you like to stay. But if you're going to visit in the hospital, does anybody like to go to the cancer ward? You know, I mean, all right, if, I, if I, I'm going to go to the orthopedic ward, I mean, that, that one's not that bad. But the one that you enjoy going is the, you know, is the, is the mother-baby unit. The baptistry is like that. I mean, it's a time of celebration. It's wonderful. People are making public testimonies. You're hearing about how the gospel has changed them. And you enjoy those services. And that happens once, you know, in your life, and then, and then they live. They're, they're, they're giving public testimony. But the other ordinance, which is communion, the Lord's table, we're to do regularly, on a regular basis. So there's the portrait of the gospel, Death, burial, resurrection, walk in new life. 
And the same thing, a portrait of the gospel, a picture of the gospel, symbolism of the gospel in the Lord's table. And we do that on a regular basis. As often as you do this, you know, do this in remembrance of me. You're proclaiming the Lord's death until he's come. It's a, it's a repetitive ordinance. And what are you to do? What's the church to do? You, you don't get your juice and your crackers and do it in your, you know, in, 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 in your kitchen table in the morning or with your wife. This is an ordinance of the church. It's, it's to be done with other believers. It's to be done as part of the church. So the whole church gathers together and the whole church remembers the, the, the body of the Lord, the blood of the Lord, what he's done. And you're called to holiness and you're called to remember, aren't you? You're to examine yourself. So you don't do this unworthily. And then you're to do it. Because it's not, I need to be sinless in order to take the Lord's table. Because the whole point of the Lord's table is you're not sinless. You know, the Lord is, which is why you can rejoice in this. So it's a command to do. But you, you reflect. You reflect on your, your, where you're at with the Lord. And, and you do that on a regular basis. So in communion... God, it's God's mechanism to call the church back to holiness, to call the church back to the Lord, to call us together and individually to remember and to reflect, which is why it's a perfect time in order to make the body aware of somebody in this condition. They were once of us, and now they're not. And so we remember that. It's purification self and of the of the body as a whole um, because it's a time to examine yourselves a time for people to be called to unity you do it together so it's a special time that's the this is the body this person's not part of the body now um, it's a time for corporate and personal prayer you're calling out for them it's a it's a, a serious thing um, any questions about any of that? Thoughts about any of that? Yes, Bobby? Yeah, I don't. I think it's not a dichotomy, but but you're asking a very legitimate question. So, how do you deal with the passages that say, you know, if a brother repents, forgive him? So, you know, do you do you treat this person with suspect? You know, how long do you watch them? So, there's a matter of wisdom that that's there. So, an attitude of forgiveness is, I mean, you're even going into discipline with that perspective. It's not I'm spiritual and you're not, so I got to bring discipline on you. You're considering yourself. You're saying like I was saying. I could be here. So this is, I'm not, you know, up here and you're down here. We're both down here under the word together. You've just taken yourself out from under the word. I'm trying to bring you back on equal level back under the, you know, the word. So it's not a matter of prove to me and then I'll accept you. So the attitude of forgiveness and the way that you're treating them is, is instantaneous. Okay? But that doesn't mean you're trusting in the sense that, you know, oh, everything's the way that it was because everything's not the way that it was. They've lost their testimony. They've lost the evidences of grace. And so you're watching for those things. So um, how long does that take? Um, Spurgeon said when a man is well, as well known for his repentance as he was for his sin, then he can be restored, you know. So, and... and um, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, he gives the godly sorrow works repentance, human regret versus godly sorrow there. So we even have scripture to see what repentance looks like. And, you know, you typically hear somebody say, you can't see my heart. You don't know what's going on. That's true. I can't see your heart. Um, but 2 Corinthians 7 actually gives an x-ray of the heart. This is what a repentant heart looks like. So a person who's genuinely repentant and is coming back is not saying to you, oh, well, you need to forgive me. Jesus has forgiven me. They're saying, oh, I don't deserve forgiveness. I totally understand why you'd be suspect of me. I'm suspect of myself. <laughs> That's the attitude of a repentant heart. Um, 
So, but it's a very good question. You're, we don't treat them like the world. Like, okay, you got to prove yourself to get back in. You know, you're in if you're in Christ. And we treat you as if you are in Christ as far as relationally and, and from a heart standpoint and forgiveness. But the way, you know, that doesn't negate the responsibilities to protect the sheep. That doesn't negate wisdom. That doesn't negate these other things. And the person who's genuinely repentant, um, you know, Second Timothy, the servant of the Lord must not strive, must, uh, you know, but uh, gentle, patient toward all, able to teach, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God would preadventure to grant repentance, you know, God's the one granting repentance, and that they would recover themselves from the, you know, the snare of the devil been taken captive to do his will. So somebody who's in unrepentant sin has been taken captive deceptively by Satan and he's doing his will. God's the one that grants them the change of mind um, to realize and wake up and then a change of behavior happens because of the change of mind. Your job is to be patient, able to teach them, gentle when they lash out at you. When they're... So the attitude of forgiveness would be, and this person has probably cost you hours and hours and hours. They probably bit your hand. They probably, in some cases, even cursed you. Um, and, and you don't treat them like they've done any of that. You love them in the Lord. You're gentle. But that doesn't mean that you release them and give them free reign in the church. And the person who's genuinely repentant, how do you, what does that look like? 2 Corinthians 7, Paul says, I can observe it. You know, what earnestness was in you? What zeal? What, what avenging of wrong? There's, there's, a, there's a list of things there. That repentant person is going, yeah, what do you want? You, wanna, you want access to, I mean, I'll, I, who am I? I mean, I've, so it, when a person comes, I, my rights, I demand this, God's forgiven me, who are you? That's not a repentant attitude. You know, so that's kind of how you ferret that out. That's a great question. Though. Yes, sir. Great question. Uh, everybody hear it? How do you deal with it if somebody goes to another church and they claim that it's there? And, and that's where it can get, get sticky. You've got 400 churches in Lynchburg, and not all of them practice church discipline or even care about these passages. So uh, let's, let's take the easy one. What do you do if it's a church that doesn't take the scriptures like this seriously? And that happens. Especially some of the mega churches or big churches, you know. So really large churches, Thomas Road or, say, a Heritage. Heritage is probably not the, as large as Thomas Road, but Blue Ridge. So churches that, they would claim they're so large. I mean, we, we can't do church discipline. That's just not practical. And so people will go there and start uh, attending and even join. Most cases, there's not a lot you can do about that at all. I mean, I have contacted Jonathan at times on, on situations here, um, and he's been very kind and listened, but, but they don't have the same systems there, you know, in order to deal with it. So it's possible if someone's out of the fellowship that, that they'll, you know, they'll run. And I can remember on my sabbatical going around to, this is five years ago, going around to the other churches and, and I can remember going to one of those large churches and sitting there um, on Sunday morning, and I looked three rows up, and there was a woman who had left her husband, who was in Timberlake, and she was sitting there on the pew with her adulterer. So he left his wife, she left her husband, and they're sitting on the pew in this church. It wasn't a pew, it was a church three rows up, and she hasn't seen me yet. And I'm sitting there with my whole family. And uh, it, it was kind of a weird experience because I know what was going on. I know what happened. She knows that I know what, you know, what, what has happened. And uh, this was a matter that didn't get public before, before the Lord. She bolted beforehand in some other circumstances. But, um, and I'm watching her. And she's standing there singing and 
you know, raising her hands, sitting there together within like a year and a half. And this is something that's, that, that's raw. And um, it, was, it was an un, let's just say it was an unpleasant thing for her to turn around and see me, you know, sitting there. Um, it was, it was uh, she went out a different door than, you know, than I did. And that's a good thing. You ought to feel that. You know, I feel worse than that. You shouldn't be afraid of me. It's just the embarrassment factor. You should be afraid of God. Um, so in those cases, you, you pray for them. You try to be as faithful as you can to the Scriptures, but we only have elder authority and responsibility for this body. We can't go beyond that. But let's say it is a church that we have fellowship with. Then, yes, we would be contacting um, the, the elders there, and we've done that. And those elders have actually met with us, and somebody who has been through the process has come with the, the elders, this other church, sit down with our elders, reconciled. And um, so you would bring them in, and you would try to deal with, you know, with the issue at, you know, at hand. Um, and you just kind of know after ministering for a while who's, you know, in, who's, going to, who's doing, doing it biblically and who wouldn't listen to you. Um, I can remember contacting a church, uh, and this was a deacon-led church. I can remember contacting deacons um, in, a, in a situation where it was the pastor's wife, the pastor's wife um, was having an affair. We, we knew about that because of the guy here, and we contacted the deacons, and it was obviously a serious thing, um, we don't have spiritual responsibility over this woman. You can't go to the pastor because he already knows about it and hasn't done anything. So now you're going to this, whoever else is in authority there to try to at least reach out in that way. And even the deacon swept it under the rug, didn't say anything, and, and then found out a couple months later that that pastor left with his wife to take another church somewhere in northern Virginia and within two or three weeks of voting on that guy, um, they divorced and she left him and everything, you know, everything blew up. So you try to do what you can do, but you only have authority over the body here, and you try to do that with churches in fellowship, and we've done that um, you know, before, and sometimes you, you, know, you can't. One of the reasons we do membership interviews, we, we, do, you know, we believe in regenerate church membership, and we're trying to see where you're coming from. What what's going on? Are you running from something? You know, and we've sent people back to uh, other churches. It's not reconciled. Um, so I, I, I had a, a couple within the last you know six months tell me that they'd been to three different churches, and it wasn't. I've been to three different churches, and I finally found Timberlake. Because I went here, and I didn't like this, and I went there, and I didn't like that, and I went there, and I didn't like that, and now we're here. And you're thinking, well, just give it some time. You'll find something here that you don't like. You know? So um, there's a heart issue probably going on there. It may not be manifest at the moment, but we're not sitting there going, well, yeah, come on. Yeah, this is great. You know, yoke up here, because you don't know what you're bringing in. So... You wanna, you don't want to make the fence so high that you know. I mean, we're the spiritual elite here, and you can't get in. But but at the same time, there is a there is a protectional, you know, aspect there that, that you're you're going. This wouldn't be good for you if you were running from a situation. Um, you need to go back there, you know, and make that right. And sometimes you can't know. So let's say you listen to them and they, they tell you the church didn't handle it well and they, they seem to be open and, and here's what happened and you've sent them back there. They've tried. I mean, you may bring them in. I mean, some eggs you can't unscramble. You, the elders don't know, but at least you're, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, to do what you can because it's for them as well as for, you know, for the body. Because whatever you don't deal with, there, that was God's opportunity for him to deal in, with, with something in your heart, and you don't deal with it there, it's going to come up again. You just brought it with you, you know, here. And this time it may be more serious and more significant, a greater exposure. 
Um, God only applies the amount of pressure and only exposes you to the extent that He must. He's gracious and merciful. It's not that God just wants to expose us all the time. You know, he, he only brings just enough pressure to bear to bring us to repentance. But if we won't repent, God is gracious, and He'll put more pressure and more exposure for the purpose of... You know, so. Did that answer it? No, I mean, that's possible. I mean, you're, you're asking a question like, what, what happens if church discipline actually, the, you know, the, the, the consequence of, 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 that comes in their life, whether it's church discipline or their sin, actually helps them realize they were not a believer. You would just deal with them on that basis. You'd be very similar to what, you know, what the question that Bobby asked. Um, you're saying praise the Lord. And then, you know, watching to see what, you know, to see what happens. And somebody who's genuinely come to Christ, you know, which is entirely possible because they're acting like an unbeliever. That's a wonderful thing if that happens. And, and then they want to tell everybody about that. They, they, so it's good. Uh, what are the purposes? Um, you can look at those pretty easily. But we've kind of fil- woven these in so we've gone along. It honors God. It's not an option since church discipline is outlined throughout Scripture. There's nowhere in Scripture that says once you hit a thousand members, you, you're exempted from church discipline. Um, Grace Community Church practices church discipline. <laughs> it's a pretty big church. It does it well, but biblically. God commands it. it. It protects the church. Satan is always secretly introducing error. Church discipline process is to protect the vulnerable, the naive, the immature persons in the church from an unrepentant sinner in rebellion against the truth. Um, most of the time, the people that get harmed or get hurt in church discipline are the, the people that are already naive or immature. They're the ones that usually get sucked up when in the in the vortex of, you know, I'm hurt and they hurt me and the you know the elders didn't do it right and this person and then they sides they start taking sides. Most of the time, the people that are involved in that are immature, naive. They they get they get wrapped up in that. Um, so you you have to to discern how fast you push the accelerator down on this process so people don't get hurt. That will hurt themselves. It vindicates the glory of Christ. It's the primary purpose. The integrity and ministry of the church is upheld. Um, and the church is Christ's bride. I mean, if you noticed or knew that your wife had cancer, you wouldn't just say, well, honey, let's just see what happens. You know, it doesn't really... Not any urgency about this. I mean, you, you would you would deal with it because you love her. Same thing with the church. The power and fruit of Christ's ministry is at stake. You don't know this. You can't presume upon the Lord. Sometimes um, it's God bringing leanness to the church in order to humble the church so He can do something greater. But but there are also a number of churches that that don't have a lot of power or a lot of fruit because they have failed to, to deal with, with unrepentant people in the body. And they don't understand why, what, that, that it's hard or there's nothing happening. This, this is very well maybe why. Um, number four, it aims to reclaim offenders through the process of repentance. Number five, uh, expresses great concern for the sinner and warns of apostasy. The aim of it is to reclaim. Don't be confused about biblical love. Love requires discipline. 
someone gives you the argument that, you know, they don't call you out or confront you because they love you, that's exactly the opposite of what Scripture says. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Number six, it deters uh, the sin, uh, deters the church from sin. We kind of talked about this. Great fear came over them. God's discipline did not destabilize the church. It stabilized it. The most stabilizing things that can happen is when, I mean, people know something's going on, and then that's brought to bear. The, the, the biblical process is brought to bear. People are watching you obey the Scriptures, and this is what Scripture says, and this is what we're doing. That's a very stabilizing thing. It doesn't destabilize. The church needs to know the seriousness of sin. There's a, there's a greater deterrent in the corporate setting than, a, than an individual setting. This is the passage I mentioned before, 1 Timothy 5, 20. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest will also be fearful. And number six, it prevents the, the chastening of God on the local church. This is something that churches, I don't think, pay attention to. Five churches were charged by Christ. Seven letters and five of them were charged by the Lord himself. Revelation 2 and 3. You've heard people say, this is not your church, this is not my church, this is the Lord's church, and it is the Lord's church. You are stewards of the Lord's church. You're, you don't own it. You're part of it. And he can charge the church, which he does. Now, we don't get direct letters. I mean, think about that. You're in Ephesus. You're in Smyrna. And Jesus Christ writes you a letter, writes a letter to Timberlake Baptist Church and charges Timberlake Baptist Church on these counts. Um, probably take that very seriously. Should. A number of them didn't. And just as Christ said, I'll remove your, your, your light from the lampstand, he did. Um, Ephesus being one of them. Five churches were charged. False doctrine and immorality were tolerated. And then they were chided by Christ. And without the process of discipline, we come under the chastening of God. So the purpose of church discipline is to prevent judgment and the removal of our lampstand, the loss of gospel effectiveness and, and influence. You say, well, I know churches all over the place that, that are still going on. They're corrupt. They're, there's a homosexual... Uh, you know, pastor there, or there's a there's a woman. Yeah, what are the, when the final um, word is said? First Corinthians three, when fire is brought to bear on 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 what they're producing as a church, wood, hay, or stubble, gold, or precious stones. What do you think is going to be there? There's churches all over the place that call themselves churches. But there's no gospel in there, and there's no power in there. There's no saving work. You can call yourself a church, but it doesn't mean Christ is there. So here you have one of the reasons that you do it. You don't want to lose gospel effectiveness and, and influence. And again, be careful. Just because you know the waters of baptism aren't being stirred all the time or just because there's no new members coming in doesn't necessarily mean that you're failing to do something. You know, so, I mean, the Lord, there are seasons and ebbs and flows in the life of the church. And the Lord could be allowing leanness to come to do something else. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's sin in the midst. Um, but it's a sweet thing when Christ is using you as a body and, and the church and the gospel's going forward and, and you can tell and, and, and sense that. Any questions about any of that before I let you go? Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you. Uh, it's one of the ways to 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 winnow the winnow the wheat, right? Um, strike somebody dead. <laughs> I don't want. I mean, I'm all for the miracle deal, but I'm out of here. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, you do. <laughs> all right, let me pray for you guys. Lord, we love you. We say, but for your grace goes any one of us. And I pray that nobody in this room would ever get beyond the, the first stage. That someone, when they bring sin to us, we even a hint of it, we would, we would flee and repent. Help us to keep a short account on our walk with you and but um, Lord if 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 whatever reason we refuse to hear I pray that we would love one another to practice this and you would be glorified in it and and um, we bring you great glory it's that's what life's all about I pray for these men as they go to the rest of their week this, this day in particular that you would fill them with your spirit fill them with the fruit of your spirit, and may they be different. May the aroma of Christ uh, come out of their life. and um, That would be an encouragement to believers and a warning to unbelievers. And I ask it in Jesus' name.